You are Locked On Rockets, your daily Houston Rockets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This one, it hurts. The Rockets had a 26-point lead in the first half, a 22-point lead at the break in a game that, with a victory, would have brought them within two games of their rival, the Oklahoma City Thunder, for a top-three seed in the Western Conference and potentially getting on the opposite side of the postseason bracket from the Warriors. Ultimately, though, the Rockets could not hold on to that lead, losing the third quarter by 22 points and ultimately falling 117-112 to at home and falling four games behind the Oklahoma City Thunder in the Western Conference standings and the Thunder, at least at the moment, in position to earn the tiebreaker between the two teams, now having won two of the three meetings thus far this season. The finale between the two teams is on the final night of the regular season in Oklahoma City. The Rockets will need to win that just to earn a split, and from there, we'll see how the potential tiebreaker falls, if it's relevant at that time. With all of that, welcome in to a special Sunday episode of Locked on Rockets, your home for daily podcast commentary, for better or for worse, on all things Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship in Houston. As we chat this Sunday, it's a somber morning here in Houston simply because of not just that the Rockets lost and that it was a very meaningful game, but how they lost. Having a 26-point lead up by 22 at the break, one of the more dominant performances of the season in a game that they really could have used, and yet all of it went south on national television at home. No, they did not have Clint Capella, which certainly played a role in the rebounding. They lost that battle 53-39. to The defense, they gave up 69 points in the second half, including 42 in the third quarter, which is what flipped a 22-point halftime lead into a tie score heading into the fourth quarter. So as far as the Rockets are concerned, this was a tough matchup without Clint Capella, but you go up 22 points at halftime, you expect a better result than what you ultimately got. So as we move our way through Sunday's show, our usual three points recap style, we're going to be discussing a wide range of issues that transpired on Saturday night. We will acknowledge how wonderful Oklahoma City played. They showed you why they are becoming a true contender. Paul George right up there with Harden and Giannis as far as the MVP conversation. Harden was strong, 42 points in his 37 minutes, despite playing with a banged up shoulder, ran into Steven Adams early on. Hopefully that does not linger, although there are just two games until the All-Star break. We'll see what happens at practice today, and the true story with Harden will be told on Monday when the Rockets return to the floor against the Dallas Mavericks. But Paul George was even better. Harden had 42, but 11 of 28 from the field, relatively inefficient for a lot of long stretches of the game, picked up by PG on the opposite end. George, he did the heavy lifting defensively by picking up Harden, and then on offense, he scored 45 points, 12 of 22 shooting, 6 of 14 from the field, 11 boards, plus 16, which was the best of anyone in the Thunder starting lineup. To do all of what it takes to guard James Harden on the defensive end and then score 45 points on better than 50% shooting, yeah, that's a true MVP-level performance, and it's why I'm buying into Oklahoma City as a team 
not just for now, because they're four games up on the Rockets in the standings, but down the road, a team that's pretty scary in the Western Conference playoffs. We'll give them their due. We'll also talk about for the Rockets. I mentioned Harden's 42, albeit a bit inefficient. The 30-point streak, now the third longest in NBA history, does live on to 29 games. The most impactful stat line for the Rockets, in my opinion, was actually the 18 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists, team best plus 10 from Chris Paul in 35 minutes. Down the road, seeing that version of CP3, I would say it reminded us of playoff CP3 at times, just reminding you that he has that in him. It's not that the the game had no positives for the Rockets. There were some things that you can build on and I think actually will build their confidence over the long run. It's just right now, everything is outweighed by the totality of the standings evidence, which is that you win, you're within two games, and you're up two games to one in the season series, so you're well-positioned for the tiebreaker. Now, you're back four games, Thunder at 36-19, and 19, you at 32-23, and 23, and only 27 games left. Yeah, a four-game lead and in poor position for the tiebreaker, at least at the moment, it's tough, especially in a game that you led by 26 and by 22 at the break. So even though there are some positives, we'll talk about them as we move our way through the show. This initial segment, I think we're going to look at what went wrong for the Rockets. And then the second segment, we'll make sure to give Oklahoma City their due because I thought they played a whale of a game. And even though we're Rockets podcast, sometimes you do need to tip your hat to the opposing team when they come out and play really well. And the Thunder, in my opinion, certainly did that. As far as what went wrong for Houston, to me, it's a classic game in which at least going by the Twitter reactions, I'm seeing a lot of people that are missing the forest for the trees. And what I mean by that, the trees in this instance are blowing the big lead. And also in the final 30 seconds, the Rockets led by one going in, but had a couple of, I would say, self-inflicted wounds. Kenneth Fareed botched a switch under Russell Westbrook, which uh, happened with the Rockets up by one with 30 seconds left, ended up with the Thunder taking the lead to stay on an uncontested layup. Fareed, not a good defensive player, so it's fair to question if Mike D'Antoni should have had him in the game rather than Nene. Now, I know Nene at 36 years old, he may not be the rebounding presence that Fareed is, but I would argue that at that point in the game, just err on the side of who's not going to make a big blunder. Fareed, with his combination of a lack of height and defensively his being prone to those types of errors, in my opinion, it wasn't that shocking. Then on the other end of the floor, Harden settled for a step back three from about 27 feet over Westbrook, which he missed. The prior possession, which the Rockets, when they were down one, took the lead, Harden drove into the paint. The floater game that he's worked so hard on this year, he dropped it in. And that was exactly what you want if you're the Rockets against an elite defense in Oklahoma City that's going to make it tough for you to do your plan A. Well, when the Rockets were down one, what ended up happening was Harden played the clock, he bled it down, and took a contested shot. Westbrook played pretty good defense, I thought, and Harden said after the game it was the shot that he wanted. I don't know if he would say that if he weren't on camera. To me, it was too much settling, and with the Rockets down one, and a two-pointer would have given them a lead. Now, maybe they wanted a three to be up two rather than one, given the state of their defense, but regardless, it was not a high-percentage shot. Harden missed it. The Thunder made all of their free throws down the stretch. Rockets down three with three seconds left. Did draw up a pretty good play for Gerald Green in the corner. About as clean a look as you could hope for, considering teams typically want to foul in that situation up by three. And the Rockets sort of used Harden at CP and Gordon as decoys. And Gerald was popping free, but a nice play by Steven Adams to get his hands on the ball. Deflected the movement of the pass. And then Gerald Green, it's all instinct, trying to save it with the pass because it was tipped. 
not really going in his breadbasket. Gerald touched it, it went out of bounds, Thunder got the basketball, and they made the free throws, and that was the end of the game. So the final 30 seconds, it wasn't pretty, but I think you're seeing a lot of fans make too much of a deal out of the issues down the stretch, because while it wasn't pretty last night, the reality is that for the season as a whole, which is not a small sample at this point, we have 55 games of evidence, basically two-thirds of the way through, the Rockets have outperformed their point differential. You look at the Western Conference standings, the Rockets, they're plus 2.1, and they're in the five spot in the West. For perspective, the Utah Jazz in the sixth seed are plus 3.4. The Rockets are actually closer in point differential. Again, they're plus 2.1 to the Pelicans, who are in 13th place, seven games under 500 at plus 1.2, than they are to the Jazz, who are in sixth place. So the fact is, the Rockets have actually done, what that stat tells you, a pretty good job of closing out the close games, because it's not like they just win comfortably. If they were, they would have a much better point differential than plus 2.1, which is awfully small for being nine games over 500. What that tells you, and of course it's reflected in all the clutch moments we've seen from James Harden this year, a few from Chris Paul, is that when you have dominant individual players, especially if they're in the backcourt and you have good coaching, which Mike D'Antoni is, those things tend to show up more at the end of a game than at any other point. So I don't think the Rockets have a clutch problem. Now, Saturday, I think there were things they could have done better, but ultimately, that's just one game. The grand scheme, the reality of NBA basketball is that if it's a one-point game in the final 30 seconds, anybody can win. You need to take care of business. How can you prevent it from being a one-point game to where these random things, like as we mentioned, a tip ball that ended up going off of Gerald Green? That's just something that from time to time will happen. And the best way... You can avoid having the game that close in the first place, which I know some of you are saying, well, it shouldn't have been. The Rockets were up by 26. They were up by 22 at halftime, yada, yada. That's true to a point, but I think there's a tendency to oversimplify whenever a team blows a lead that, oh, they must have thought the game was over and then stopped trying. They stopped playing with the same intensity. There have been times that that was true with the Rockets. I did not think it was true on Saturday night. I thought they respected the game. I thought they played seriously. The issue is that... The Rockets without Clint Capella, and we said this when he went out, the Rockets are now 13 of 15 in terms of the games that he'll miss. They're 8 and 5, which is better than I would have suspected, even with Saturday's loss. So you can't help but be proud of how hard they have fought. But without Clint Capella, what that makes them more prone to is extreme variance in any individual game. Because when you're not able to compete on the glass, especially against a big and tougher Oklahoma City team, that has Steven Adams, Jeremy Grant, Paul George on their front line. You're starting six foot eight Kenneth Freed and six foot six PJ Tucker at the power forward spot. They're bigger, they're longer, they're more athletic, they're tougher. And if they're able to get the easy points and to control the glass, and then on offense, because you don't have Clint Capella as a lob man, a vertical spacer, an ability to get offensive rebounds and score around the bucket, you're going to be more dependent on the three point shot. In the second quarter, the Rockets made their threes. I believe they hit eight of them, and that's when the lead bulged from by three going into it to up by 22 at the break because they won it by 19. In the third quarter, it went the other way. The Rockets went cold from three. The Thunder made their first seven shots of the period, and that's how a 22-point lead ended up being completely erased to being a tie game entering the fourth quarter. So when I look at what built the Rockets that lead, it's frustrating, but ultimately, over 48 minutes, the shooting normalized. Houston ended up making 43% from the field and 36% from three. 
The Thunder, they were a hair better, but not by much, made just below 45% from the field and about 38% from three. So the shooting was, for the balance of the game, pretty much equal. The Thunder actually had more turnovers. Ross had 10 of their 19. Houston had just 12, which almost counteracted that minus 14 rebounding disadvantage for Houston, 39 to 53. But honestly, when you look at the box score, that was the difference. And it's been that way really ever since they lost Clint Capella. It's just not every team is positioned to hit them at their weakest spot. The Thunder with Steven Adams, with Jeremy Grant, with Paul George, that ultra-athletic front line, they can do it. And over the balance of 48 minutes, it eventually caught up with the Rockets. So I don't think that they necessarily took their foot off the gas in terms of their intensity in the second half. I just think that over time, the shooting numbers stabilized for both teams. And if the shooting was similar, the Thunder are just a bigger, more tougher team. And that ended up being the difference on Saturday night. And as mentioned, a very meaningful game. And the question, if you're the Rockets, does all of this get fixed with the return of Clint Capella? The case for optimism, they did beat this Thunder team on Christmas Day, even without Chris Paul, and that's because Clint Capella played a very huge role then. But at the end of the day, he is just one body, and this might be a case if you feel like you can't trust Kenneth Fareed in all circumstances because of his defensive lapses that was on display in the final 30 seconds when he blew the switch onto Westbrook. If you're worried about Nene at 36 years old and his lack of springs, maybe you need one more big in the buyout market. We've heard the Rockets linked potentially to Markeith Morris, and they don't really have a true backup power forward behind P.J. Tucker. Maybe Morris can come in, be your backup power forward on paper, and also play some small ball five and not be as prone to lapses like what we saw late in the game from Fareed. You can make that case if you want. Certainly, they are going to get Clint Capella back after what we expect is just a two-game absence from this point forward, so he'll help you. He is by far your biggest player, your best rebounder, your best rim protector, your best finisher as far as vertical spacing, the lob game on offense, so that will help some of those issues. But at the end of the day, he is just one player. If you want more, then you could argue that this matchup in particular, since the Rockets could easily draw the Thunder in the playoffs beyond just trying to compete with them in the standings, that might warrant trying to get a little bit bigger because when you look at the game as a whole, I know blowing the lead and in the last 30 seconds are, are the Rockets settling for too many threes? Is there Does there need to be more ball movement and all the other hot takes that we're seeing out there? The reality is we have a lot of evidence that the Rockets, even against really good teams, look at how they closed out the Thunder on Christmas Day. Look how they handled the Celtics, the Warriors, all the big-name teams they have beaten over the past month, their crunch-time offense has been just fine. And as far as leads go, again, go back to that point differential. The Rockets, it's not like they're just running away from teams. No, they are beating teams in close games at a better rate than nearly anyone else in the NBA. So I really think even though Saturday was a bad game on that front, it's just an outlier. The reality is that the real issue for the Rockets, it's been there all along. They've been a bottom-tier defense all year long, whereas last year they were top 10. And we talk about how we expect the Rockets to be better than what they are, nine games over 500. Again, that's all based on it's, well, partially last year, because we know what this team can do with the Paul Harden and Capella Foundation. And it's also based on the fact that there have been so many injuries this year that we believe that when they're healthy, they're capable of kicking it to another level. We've also seen the statement wins, which tend to build that confidence. As far as this season goes, the differential tells you that the Rockets, to this point, they're not better than what their record is. If anything, you could argue they should be a game or two worse. They have some 
structural issues. And it's not just the fact that there's something intangible that goes wrong. And the reason they're not better than the 32 and 23 mark is because they just don't have some sort of mental strength or, again, the hot takes that I saw some throwing out there on Twitter. No, it's not about that. It's about a structural problem of a team that was top 10 in defense a year ago, being bottom 10 in defense all season long. And the biggest issue has been the consistently poor rebounding. Now you take Clint Capella out of the mix and you fall to basically the bottom of the league. You're minus 14 on Saturday in the loss to Oklahoma City. The last thing I'll say in this initial segment, again, don't miss the forest for the trees. The real issue for the Rockets, it's not some of the hot take items. It's the same thing that's been there all along. The defense, and especially the rebounding, it's not good enough. And hopefully Clint Capella's return fixes a lot of that. Maybe they need to go beyond it in the buyout market. We'll see. But when you evaluate this game, no, it's not the crunch time offense. It's not James Harden. It's not Chris Paul. It's not the shooters. It's not the coaching, anything like that. It's the defense and the rebounding. It's what's been there all season long. Now it's on the Rockets to ultimately try and fix that. Now, as we continue our way through our usual three points recap, we spent much of the first segment discussing the things that went wrong for Houston. Not everything. Again, Chris Paul had a strong game, mentioned 18, 10, and 9, team best plus 10. Harden, his 30-plus point streak, reached 29 games, third longest in NBA history. He can tie the second longest Wednesday in Minnesota. Kenneth Fareed had another double-double, 17 and 12, although his defense was certainly a big problem for the Rockets, as we discussed. So it's not that it was a dreadful game for the Rockets. They played extremely well in building a 26-point lead in the first half. It's just considering the standings impact going from potentially within two games to the Thunder and now falling four behind, it's hard to focus that much on the positives because the reality is that it's a very costly loss. And then you add on the fact that you blew that huge lead and it makes it all the more painful. Nevertheless, we will look at the positives, primarily Chris Paul in segment three. But in this second segment of our three points recap, I want to give credit where credit is due and that to the Oklahoma City Thunder, primarily Paul George, who again, spent a lot of time defending James Harden, even though Harden had 42 points, he had to work 11 of 28, not his usual efficiency to get there. And George did a lot of the perimeter coverage of Harden throughout the game. And not only did he do a good job on that end, on offense, he put up 45 points, a team best or starting lineup best, plus 16 on better than 50% shooting and 6 of 14 from three. Also had 11 rebounds, got to the free throw line 18 times, made 15 of those. And for PG, it's the culmination of a season in which he has taken the leap. Last year, he, in Oklahoma City, averaged below 22 points per game. This year, he is averaging better than 28 points per game. He's improved his scoring by more than six points per game. And somehow, his efficiency is up from 43% a year ago from the field to better than 45% now, and from 40% from three to 41%. So to see a guy at 28 years old make that leap it's awfully impressive. I think Harden is still ahead of him as far as the MVP race goes because as great as Paul George has been, James Harden has been even better. But on Saturday night, I don't think it's a stretch to say even in Houston in a game the Rockets were extremely motivated to get, Paul George was the best player on the floor. And I don't think that's a shot at James Harden because I thought James played well. But ultimately, Paul George and the Thunder were even better. And also, Harden had just one assist, which speaks to the fact that the Thunder did not have to double-team Harden all that much because George is such a 
long and active defender, then you don't have to help as much with your bigs. And because of that, it's it's harder for James Harden to get the assist game going, which even if he's not able to score as much as he would like, and there were times in which the game bogged down, then he should be able to get open three-point shooters. That did not always happen in Saturday night's game either. And the reason that this is a, a big deal for the Rockets beyond just Saturday night's game, in which, sure, you tip your cap, Paul George played extremely well, and even by his standards, this was somewhat like Harden in Oakland in early January. This was a top-five performance all season long by any individual player. And so the positive you can point to if you're Houston is that, man, you almost beat the Thunder anyway, even with Paul George playing this absurdly, ridiculously well. The flip side to this is that it reminds you that should these two teams play in the playoffs, and they easily could, we talk about chasing down the Thunder for a top three seed, realistically, I think you want to chase down either Oklahoma City or Denver, and the Rockets are up two games to one on Denver in their season series, and they've got the finale in late March in Houston, should they get that, then Houston would own the tiebreaker with Denver, and potentially you could chase them down for a top three seed as well, and the reason that a top three seed is so impactful with the current Western Conference is that now that the Warriors are getting separation and they're expected to be the one seed, it's bad enough that they'll have the advantage of home court, which they did not have against the Rockets a year ago, assuming Houston can get that far. But beyond that, what I think you want if you're the Rockets is that you would prefer to play them in the Western Conference Finals rather than the semis. You want to be able to put as much mileage on the Warriors, have them expend as much energy before you play them as humanly possible. You think back to the one time in the last four years that the Warriors have actually lost a series. It was the 2016 finals against the Cavaliers. By the way, Iman Shumpert on that Cavs team. Shumpert made his debut for the Rockets Saturday night against the Thunder, played 24 minutes, including some high leverage ones down the stretch. Shot just one of five from the field, but I thought his defense was actually pretty good, and you could see how much Mike D'Antoni trusted him after just one practice inserting him into some high leverage minutes. So I don't think it was a bad debut for Shumpert by any means, and just thought that's an interesting side note with the 2016 Cavs, referencing them, the one team that's beaten the Warriors over the past four years, really now four and a half. They're just half decade of dominance, led by Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Steve Kerr, this current dynasty iteration. But the reason I go back to that 2016 finals, the one series they actually lost, what happened before that? The Warriors had to come back from down 3-1 in the Western Conference Finals, a grueling seven-game series against the Oklahoma City Thunder. That was the last year of Durant and Westbrook in OKC. And even though the Warriors came out of that series alive, they had to expend a lot of energy to the point where, especially late in the Cavs series, I thought it started to catch up with them. So if you're Houston, that's why getting a top three seed is so important. Saturday was definitely a hit towards that goal, but it's certainly not off the table because it's not just the fact that you're able to avoid the the Warriors in the semis. It's the fact that even if you treat it as inevitability that, well, nobody else can beat the Warriors. And I've seen some say, does it really matter if it's the semis or the finals or even the first round? If you're going to have to beat them, just play them, get it over with, and let's see what happens. In my opinion, it does matter because if you get on the opposite side of the bracket, then sure, there's a not zero chance that somebody could beat them. But more than that, it's just you want to put up as much mileage on their bodies as you can, especially because unlike last year, it doesn't appear that the Rockets will have home court advantage, at least against the Warriors in the 2019 playoffs. But to get back to the Thunder, beyond just trying to catch either Oklahoma City or Denver for a top three seed for the reasons we ran through, the fact is, you could easily play the Thunder before you play 
the Golden State Warriors, depending on what your seed is, or after, if the Rockets end up in the 4-5 line, which they are now, and then somehow can beat them in the semis. And what worries me about Oklahoma City, and Paul George in particular, in most matchups, the reason the Rockets feel, especially in the playoffs, assuming health, that they have the ace in the whole card, other than the Warriors with Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, two MVPs, the Rockets feel like with James Harden and with playoff Chris Paul, that if it's close and late, the history of NBA shows that individual greatness will typically win out. They feel like that the, the other teams that they could conceivably match up with in the playoffs, the Blazers, the Jazz, the Spurs, the Nuggets, all nice teams. But at the end of the day, there is no question that the best player, and maybe even the best two players, when it comes down to crunch time, the final three, five minutes of a close game, would be on the Houston side. And they just feel that they, if it's close, can pull it out. The Thunder with Paul George, I'm not going to say he's been as good as Harden for the entire season. He hasn't. As great as PG has been, Harden has been even better. But the gap, Paul George is close enough. He has truly made the leap, and we are starting to see Russell Westbrook defer a bit more, not taking as many shots late in the game that in the past have sunk the Thunder in these matchups with the Rockets. You can see this year, unlike a year ago, it seems that Westbrook acknowledges that Paul George is truly the star of that team. And with that coinciding with yet another leap forward in Paul George, the basketball player, that's the one team in the West where in any given game, any given series, he can be the best player on the floor. And that's scary. And that can beat you because to me, that's kind of Houston's trump card. The best case for defense at this point, as I mentioned, I don't think the Rockets are going to become reasonably a top 10 defense. Your best case is to just get it to the middle of the pack and hope your offense is enough combined with clutch play from James Harden and Chris Paul to get you where you need to go. You're not miraculously going to change the fundamentals of your team at this point. It is what it is. And Oklahoma City is the one team, certainly there's a lot they can do defensively with their length, but on the other end of the floor, Paul George is just becoming so great as a dominant force. He can beat you. And that's scary because I don't think the Rockets have that level of fear with most other teams in the Western Conference. The Thunder are a tough matchup regardless because of how physical they are, how tough against a Rockets team that generally isn't that big. But it's that leap forward by Paul George that I would keep my eyes peeled for if you're a Rockets fan. Because assuming he's healthy, now I know last year, hashtag playoff P, everyone makes fun of the 2 of 16, 5 points he had in the Utah closeout game. And who knows, maybe that happens again. But I tend to suspect that a lot of what happened to the Thunder towards the home stretch of last season, there was so much uncertainty, the contract situations of Paul George, everything going on with Carmelo Anthony. I don't think we saw Russell Westbrook deferring as much as he is now. To me, all I can grade 2019 Paul George by is what we've seen to this point in the season. And he appears to have made a significant leap forward, even relative to just last season. And if this Paul George is the real deal, then that might be the one team besides the Warriors who the Rockets can go into a playoff series. And as great as James Harden is, you're not guaranteed in any given game to have the best player. That's how good Paul George can be. You tip your cap to him tonight. But as far as down the line, yeah, it's scary because just beyond the normal things you think of with Oklahoma City, their athleticism, their rebounding, their toughness, now you have a player that can actually kick it into that Harden level gear. Yeah, it's scary. So beyond it just being a costly loss, it's one that also, I would say, makes me a little bit fearful. It's one of the first times that I felt like 
other than the Warriors, there is a team that is capable of beating the Rockets four times out of seven. Now, I'm not saying I would pick Oklahoma City in a series. I think I would pick Houston, assuming health, and that Capella returns in the form that he should be. But I'm just saying, if they play the way they did Saturday night, the Thunder are tough. Beyond just the things the Rockets can control, tip your hat. That was a really strong performance from Oklahoma City in the 117-112 to 112 win. Final thoughts as we close out Sunday's show. We spent a lot of time discussing and dwelling on the negatives, also tipping your hat to a strong performance by the Thunder. But the one positive that I think the Rockets can cling to, don't forget what a brilliant performance this was from Chris Paul. 18 points, 9 assists, 10 rebounds, 18 best plus 10 in 35 minutes. He's stretching his minutes out just a couple of weeks back from the month-long absence with a strained hamstring. He's playing 35 minutes well. He's springy. We saw him, especially in transition, pushing that, what I consider the turbo button. The rebounds, he had 10 of those. We're talking about the Rockets being out-rebounded, 53-39. to Well, of the Rockets, 39 rebounds, 10 of them came from the smallest player on the floor, that being Chris Paul. He wanted this game, and what he showed you is that he does still have that ability to dig deep in any given game and kick it into that playoff CP3 mode. And it's just silly. I've seen some taking individual clips in which he couldn't shake a guy and wondering, oh, was he too old? It's ridiculous. If you were criticizing Chris Paul after that game, you're being absolutely silly. You can look at any player, and if you break one or two possessions out of proportion, James Harden at the end of the game, he got Russell Westbrook switched on to him. Westbrook is not a good defender. Well, you'd think that Harden wasn't a particularly good offensive player or that Westbrook was a dynamic defender based on the final possession in which... Westbrook basically forced Harden into a 27-footer. Now, maybe Harden was a little worn down. He's got the shoulder issue. There's a lot of extenuating circumstances. But the point is, if you grade an NBA player by any one or two possessions, you could make them look brilliant, even if it's a bad player, or you can make them look bad if it's a really good player. Things happen. So you have to look at the totality of the evidence. And while Chris Paul was not perfect, when you blow a 22-point lead at the break, then sure, every player bears some responsibility. I'm sure there's a couple of plays you would have wished that he did more than he was able to accomplish, but the reality is for the balance of the game, 18, 10, and 9 against an elite defense in Oklahoma City, that, even more than Harden's 42, is what really bodes well if you're the Rockets, because the fact that Chris Paul still has that in him, no, Chris Paul is not washed. Now, can he do that every night over 82? I don't know about that, but what it reminds you of is that the bigger moments, and especially as we get to the playoffs and you have more time between games, it should be noted the Rockets did not play Thursday or Friday, so they, they went and rested. When Chris Paul needs to play well, when the lights are on, he still has that gear. It helps they made the shots, 5 of 12 overall, 2 of 5 from 3, so above 40% shooting, 40% from behind the arc. You'll take it, but overall, it's the 10 rebounds, the 9 assists, the 2 steals, just 2 turnovers, the amount of control he had over the game, probing the paint. He did a better job than Harden did, in my opinion, of collapsing the defense, getting Steven Adams to commit, and then had a number of assists to Kenneth Freed, when he, who had 17 and 12. Wasn't a great defensive player, as we discussed earlier, but did make 8 of his 11 shots, because most of them were near the rim, many of them spoon-fed by Chris Paul collapsing the defense. So the real positive to me from this game is that Chris Paul showed you that he still has that extra gear. No, he's not washed. When the lights are bright, he'll be able to dig down deep and find that level of performance. For the Rockets going forward, that's why I really don't feel that badly about this game. 
especially because you're going to get Clint Capella back. I know the defense, the rebounding, we discussed that leading off. That's a big deal. Well, yeah, you're without Clint Capella. He's going to come back after two more games. So that's a big deal. And assuming there's nothing wrong with James Harden and the shoulder, again, he was getting that massage, flexing it throughout the game. After the game in the locker room, he had a big bag of ice on it. So you do have to worry a little bit about that. We'll see how he looks on Monday. But the reality is that if you're going to have something like that happen, assuming there's nothing structurally wrong, and they say he just ran into Steven Adams, a collision, Steven Adams a very large and tough human being, then the Rockets have just two games before the All-Star break in which Harden will get nearly eight days off. So as far as those types of injuries go, this is a good time to have it because it is going to be low maintenance after these next two games. Dallas at home on Monday, and then at Minnesota on Wednesday. So as long as Harden's fine, at this point I have no reason to believe he won't, and as long as Clint Capella comes back, which he is poised to do, then I think the Rockets are going to be fine from a talent perspective. I really don't think Saturday's game was a poor showing by any means. It just stings because of what a win would have meant, and the fact that you were so damn close to getting it. But in the grand scheme, Beyond just fixing the defense and the rebounding, and Clint Capella, his return is step one towards that. The big question for the Rockets, can Chris Paul in the playoffs be close to as dominant as he was in the playoffs a year ago? At the end of the day, this is just one game, but despite all the negatives, that's one positive that should not be lost. What we saw from Chris Paul against Oklahoma City, to me, that's a big step forward. It's a case for optimism that when things are really on the line in April, May, and hopefully June, he still has that level that he can reach. It's not enough to make everything go away, all the other issues, the defense, the rebounding by itself. But as far as what the Rockets' upside is, if the Rockets are going to win a championship this year, Chris Paul has to be in all-star form by the playoffs. There's no other way around it. This, in my opinion, was the most encouraging game of the entire season from Chris Paul's perspective, from the standpoint of believing that he still has that potential form in him. Now, can he do it consistently enough? to where, you know, the majority of games in the playoff series, he's at this form. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But step one for a guy who's been injury-prone this season and less efficient than he would like to be even when he's played, to me, it's a gigantic first step. Can he build on it? We'll see, because ultimately, especially these next two games without Clint Capella, the Rockets need to win them, stay in the 4-5 line, and at least within striking distance of the top three, home against Dallas at Minnesota. Not easy games, but winnable. And without Clint Capella, it's not like the defense and the rebounding is going to get better immediately. So you you don't need just James Harden, especially with Harden banged up a bit. Mentioned the shoulder issue by himself, and that's his shooting shoulder, by the way. He's going to need help from Chris Paul. Saturday was very encouraging. Can he keep it up in the next two games? That's the storyline. If he can, then in my opinion, your upside, your ceiling is significantly raised if Chris Paul still has this left in him. Hopefully it continues. Will it? Stay tuned. We'll see what happens when the Rockets are back on the floor Monday night against the Mavs. So until then, this is where we'll leave off. Again, recapping an unfortunate 117-112 loss that the Rockets suffered Saturday night against their rival Oklahoma City Thunder. If you want more content before our next show, recapping the aforementioned Monday game against the Mavs, the best place to get it is on Twitter. I'm on there at Ben Dubose. Show is on there at Lockdown Rockets. And also don't forget our Lockdown NBA Net handle, which on Twitter and Instagram offers a curated feed, lots of content, tweets, whatever it may be, from across the network so that you're not just seeing what I'm talking about here in Houston, but our local experts covering every team in the association. So if you want to learn about their teams or if you want to see what they're saying about the Rockets going into any hypothetical matchup, such as the Mavs and Rockets Monday night, Timberwolves and Rockets on Wednesday night, you'll get those through that Lockdown NBA net feed as well. Also, a couple other plugs I want to throw out. Email LockdownRockets at gmail.com. 
Facebook at facebook.com slash LockedOnRockets, website LockedOnRockets.com. All of those are ways that you can access prior content, or you can reach out to me directly if you've got questions about the team, suggestions for the show, advertising inquiries, pretty much anything we can do to make this a better podcast for you, the Rockets fan, or even you, the human being. Don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. Also, even if you can't advertise yourself, one way you can help us, subscribe, leave five-star reviews, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, the odds are you can find Lockdown Rockets because we're part of a great network of shows, widespread distribution at the Lockdown Podcast Network. So subscribe, leave five-star reviews. That's how you'll get the benefit of episodes right when they're delivered, even before I can post them to my Twitter feed at Ben Dubose. And we'll look at the benefit through your subscription and hopefully with your five-star review of looking attractive to other potential advertisers and hopefully keeping the business model rolling here at Lockdown Rockets as the only daily podcast covering Houston Rockets basketball. One final time, the unhappy final from Saturday night at Toyota Center. Thunder 117, Rockets 112. Houston has its three-game winning streak snapped and falls to 32-23 and 23 on the season. Next in action, Monday night against the Dallas Mavs. Whatever happens, come back soon, and we'll have the full recap right here at Lockdown Rockets, your home for daily coverage of Houston Rockets basketball.